0: Well, today we want to continue again. We are in the book of uh, Acts, and we are in chapter 15. Chapter 15 of Acts. We're going to be camped out here for a little while. Uh, This is a very strategic chapter in the book of Acts, in the New Covenant, and in the history, (laughs) and the 2,000-year history. Uh, of uh, the visible body of Messiah, you know, since Yeshua has come. How's that for a build-up for a chapter of Scripture? Right, wow. Okay, and you know what's kind of interesting about it? It's right in the middle of the book of Acts. I mean, almost, if you count all the words in the entire book of Acts, it's almost exactly in the middle of of the book. There's other things that are uh, very uh, unique and interesting. This is the last time uh, in the book of Acts that we're going to hear from Peter. The last time uh, that we hear from, uh, that we hear from uh, Peter. In this, in this uh, chapter of Acts is also a major decision uh, that was made uh, by James, uh, the, uh, really the leader uh, really the leader of uh, the messiah followers and you know in the first century in the in the middle of the first century uh and it's a it's a major decision that it has affected the history of the ecclesia uh to this very moment <laughs> okay uh and so there's a lot to talk about so what led up what, what are we talking about what's going on in this chapter Well, for a while now, really going back to chapter 10, there's been a a change, a slow change taking place, and that is an emphasis on people who are not Jewish coming to embrace Yeshua. And we read different narratives of it. You know, the big one is in chapter 10. The first big one is in chapter 10, where Peter has a vision, he receives like a testimony uh, and uh, and and then his own uh, and then the ruach uh convicting him personally that it's okay for Cornelius and his family uh not only a uh, a non-Jew but a, uh, a someone who was a Roman and someone who was in the military but who was friendly to Israel uh he and his uh, family Uh, embrace Yeshua. And then we read about others. And in chapter uh, 13, in particular, uh, we read about a man by the name of Sergius Paulus, sort of somebody that comes out of nowhere, who is a a non-Jew, who does not seem to have any kind of relationship to the Jewish community whatsoever. Uh, And he embraces uh, the Messiah. Uh, And that in and of itself is quite... uh, quite radical and we read that one of the helpers to uh uh, paul and barnabas his name was john mark he immediately returns to jerusalem and we surmise that it was it was like too much for him this idea that that a gentile can just embrace the messiah of israel without any kind of any kind of ceremony without any kind of quote unquote conversion event or anything like that how could this be and then in chapter 14, we see on this journey of uh, Paul and Barnabas, we're seeing Jews and Greeks coming to believe and a lot of Gentiles believing. Uh, and, uh, and then they go back to Antioch, where they had started from. They return to Antioch from where they were sent out. Uh, and they're rejoicing about all the, the uh, Gentiles coming to believe. And now this raises an issue. This raises an, an issue. Now, I think something to keep in our minds when we use the term Gentile is that Gentile means non-Jew, but just looking around the room today, there's all kinds of Gentiles. It's not like there's one you know, a one uh, a group called Gentile, right? Uh, you, in fact, most people never refer to themselves as Gentile only in relation to relationship to Jewish people. Most people will say, "Oh, I'm uh, Italian," or "I'm Irish," uh, or "My family uh, comes um, from, uh, you know, uh, Spain," or uh, "We're from Mexico," or "From South America," uh, or or you know, other other countries, other ethnic groups. We don't usually lump all of humanity <laughs> as Gentile and Jew. So that's, I think, important for us to get. Just, you want to just keep that in the back of your mind. That Gentile means all different kinds of people, right? But in this context, of course, the big deal was, is that this is a spiritual or religious controversy. uh, And uh, quite clearly, that, that the understanding at this time was, Believing in Yeshua is part of the Jewish belief system in one way or another. Jews may disagree, but any kind of disagreement is really an inter-Jewish issue. It doesn't really, it doesn't really have to do with the Romans or anybody else. In fact, there's a few places in Acts where the Romans are kind of like confounded. We don't know what to do with these people because it's they're not really breaking any of our laws. This is a—they're having a, a squabble amongst themselves about a purely Jewish issue. In fact, you know, in the 18th uh, chapter, uh, when the congregation at Corinth is founded, which is a very interesting, very interesting story, and we'll get to it when we get to chapter uh, 18. Uh, but we we read there. Uh, that the pro-council, his name was Galio, right? That uh, the, uh, the Jewish people that were very angry, the Jewish community that were very angry at Paul, came to him like to do something about this. Do something about this thing. And, uh, and so uh, in verse 14 and 15, it says, But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or vicious or a vicious crime O Jews it would be reasonable for me to put him, put up to put up with you in other words you know with your complaints about him but if there are questions about words and names and your own law look after it yourselves i am unwilling to be a judge of these matters so you know the point is is that that just shows us That uh, believing in Yeshua, the claims of the apostles, uh, the persecution of the early Jewish believers, the anger of the Jewish community, the misunderstandings, all were inside of the Jewish world. So that is certainly not like today, but we have to, we must remember that in order to make proper applications in our own world today when we get to the end of the, like the end of the story, the end of the chapter. Okay, so, Now, in chapter 15, uh, you have all these Jewish people coming to believe, uh, and this raises a controversy. And clearly, this was a controversy uh, that erupted. In chapter 15, it says, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders uh, concerning uh, this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the ecclesia, the congregation uh, there at, uh, at uh, Antioch, Uh, They were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. Isn't that an interesting phrase? It's fascinating. The, The conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the congregation, the ecclesia, and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Okay. So, uh, one of the things that we learned right off the bat, uh, that uh, if there was any kind of honeymoon period, it was over. Okay? Uh, And we should never get the idea that, Oh, I wish we could be just like it was in the days of the book of Acts because it was it was rough uh there was a, a a lot of disagreement you know unlike today i the apostles the leaders they did not have like a long history of tradition you know this is the way we do it and this is what we were taught when we went to seminary or or when we uh, went to graduate school or or when i trained to be a rabbi or, or uh, when I trained to be a congregational leader, you know, this is what I learned from my elders. There was nobody before them. Uh, and so uh, this was uh, all, all very, very new, right? And uh, I think it's important to understand that, that their, their um, take on it, these men from Judea and from the sect of the Pharisees that we read about there uh, in verse 5, given the time in which they lived this made sense okay this made sense because that's how we've always done it i mean anybody any person who is not jewish that's going to become part of the jewish world to embrace the god of israel and to live in the jewish world would go through a conversion, a ceremony, and teaching, and process, uh, whether that be circumcision or making certain declarations and, and being identified as a proselyte of Israel. After all, Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel. So why, uh, why would this be any different? That's where they're coming from now were they right no clearly they were not right they needed uh some additional uh, testimony and teaching but you can appreciate where they're, they're coming from they're not evil i guess is what i'm trying to say they're not evil people you know but uh they were people that were misinformed they were misinformed uh and uh they're uh we'll just to use the terminology we use today they're Their understanding of Bible doctrine was off, okay, Uh, and uh, uh, it created quite a controversy. Now, understand what they're saying. They're saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You cannot be delivered. You cannot have a relationship with God. You, You cannot know Yeshua. I mean, that's a pretty heavy-duty statement to make, uh, right? Uh, and, uh, and then it's you know, reiterated uh, there in, um, in verse 5. Now, we know that Peter and Paul and Barnabas, we already know from what Luke has written, that Peter and Paul and Barnabas have been convinced that Gentiles do not have to become Jewish or engage in these Jewish practices in order to know the Lord. They have seen it with their very eyes, and God has uh, uh, convinced them. Uh, But this was indeed a controversy. It says in verse 2, and when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, Great controversy. You could only imagine, wouldn't you have loved to be a fly on that wall, right? Uh, This was no small disagreement, right? Uh, That they decided they better go to Jerusalem to get, like, the authoritative answer because this is really hugely important. So, you know, there's a particular principle that that we learn here. And uh, that is, is that they recognized authority. They recognized apostolic authority. They recognized authority. And that uh, Paul and Barnabas did not uh, respond by saying, we're, you know, forget about them. We're just going to tell you how it is. They recognized authority and due process. That's important. Uh, they went to Jerusalem because they wanted to hear from James. James clearly was the leader of the believers. Uh, He was was recognized as as the authoritative figure. And that becomes quite clear as this text goes on. He gives the bottom line, and nobody argues with him. He hears testimony, and he gives the final opinion on it, and everybody recognizes it and receives it. See? And uh, you know that even in our world, we have people, not terrible people, not evil people, but people that are misinformed, people that uh, hold to errant doctrinal positions. Once in a while, we'll we'll come here and say, you know, uh, everybody's got to do this, or why are you doing this, or why are you allowing this, right? Uh, And uh, we basically (laughs) go to the source. The apostolic authority, as it's given to us in the text of the Brit Chadasha, and the buck stops there. Uh, and uh, if uh, uh, you know, if, if people uh, uh, continue to uh, disagree on that, we say, well, you you know, you cannot teach that because here is our authority. Here is our authority, and not only that, but horizontally, uh, it is important. That, uh, that a human authority in the uh, community is recognized. Another thing that Paul and Barnabas didn't do is they didn't say, well, God told us and, and that's it. God told us and that's it. They recognize that James is the one that has been called by God to be the authority uh, and uh, the apostolic authority. Uh, and we would say, uh, uh, today that we don't have apostolic, the apostolic authority is with the apostles and the early uh, leaders of the congregation. That's why we have a written Brit a written new covenant, and God has raised up elders, uh, you know, and uh, congregational leaders and elders and spiritual authority. And so we do see this, you know, yielding to authority and due process. So that's. That's a very important lesson, you know, that we do um, get, get out of this. Okay? All right. Uh, now, another thing that we learn here along the way uh, is in verse 3, when it says, Therefore, sent on their way uh, by the ecclesia, the church, the community, they, they were passing through both Phoenician and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and we're bringing great joy uh, to the brethren. So one thing's pretty clear is that they were happy that the Gentiles believing was like a really good thing. They are rejoicing. They're not saying, "Oh, what a headache!" You know, "Hey, what? Uh, well, what? What a headache this is now. Now we have to deal with this issue." No, no, they were rejoicing because they understood that this is part of the plan of God that that uh, not only uh, Israel, but, but the nations. And the fact that Gentiles were believing was a sign to them that this is the beginning of the olam haba, uh, the introduction of the, of the new age. Now, the word conversion there, that's kind of an interesting word, right? Uh, it, I think it's the only place where this word is used as a noun. Usually, it's translated like return. Return or turn back. Now, in Greek, there's another word for repent. Actually, it's a different word for repent, but this this word means em- emphasizes more of changing your way of thinking, changing your orientation. You know, uh, and so what he's saying here is uh, describing in detail this uh, this change in these non-Jews embracing the God of Israel, embracing uh yeshua uh, and uh now that that's terminology that that we would never use today when was the last time you ever heard any anybody say uh oh isn't it great to see a room full of converted gentiles you know uh, uh but now we don't see this uh too much anymore you still hear it in some places but when i was a, a brand new uh believer in yeshua it was common terminology to refer to Jewish people who believed in Yeshua as converted Jews, converted Jews, right? Some of you that can date yourself in the Hebrew Christian mission, early Messianic movement, we're talking 1960s and 1970s, that using the term converted Jews was normal or or trying to update it, ready? completed jews right that's another, that was another uh really completed jews uh, but you never heard converted gentiles completed gentiles it was like well of course of course people who are not jewish are going to believe in yeshua but the most unbelievable thing of all is that a jewish person would come to believe in jesus christ the savior of the world right? Uh, not realizing or thinking, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> when we go back, it was the Jewish people who were first believing it and brought the message to the Gentiles. And this is a, this is like a retro thing going on here. You know, uh, Jewish people living, at, believing as Jews uh, and coming to faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah. Uh, and you know, it. it is the rebirth of this messianic movement is where they have the rebirth of our nomenclature and the importance of it, and Yeshua, Messiah, Ecclesia, congregation, those are not just uh, like bells and whistles and cute into, uh, cute things, you know what I mean? Uh, or uh, even uh, some who might be here today might be saying, "Oh, you know, they have this thing at Beth Messiah. they have this that are hung up on on this Yeshua thing, right? Uh, but the fact is, is that we're not hung up on it right <laughs> it's not a it's not, we're not hung up it's who he is and uh, you know words uh, uh, are symbols of a reality uh and so it is certainly very very important to understand to understand that especially uh especially here and so uh, they were rejoicing in this brand new thing that was happening of Gentiles coming to believe in uh, the Messiah, whether they were Phoenician, Sumerian, whether they might be Syrian, uh, they might be Roman, uh, whoever they were, you see? Or they could be uh, Arabian or Arab, right? Uh, Or uh, from lots of different places. Uh, Corinth, right? uh and just all the different cities and towns that we read about uh in the book of acts from lots of different places and lots of different cultures coming to uh embrace the uh embrace the messiah okay i uh, so in fact one author says that uh in verse three it was sort of like a campaign like they were campaigning you know sharing this great thing that had happened and getting getting a lot of people excited about it on their way to Jerusalem. That could be overstating it, you know, but they were excited about it, sharing this great truth. Okay, so now they arrive at Jerusalem, and they're received, uh, you know, by all the leaders, by, by the congregation of the leaders at Jerusalem, and they reported everything that, that uh, had happened. Now, it is interesting that in verse 5, you read the phrase, the sect, of the Pharisees. One of the things it tells us is that Pharisees were believing in Yeshua. They might have uh, misunderstood certain things and you know, might be causing some uh, uh, angst and controversy. But isn't it interesting that you read about Pharisees believing? Now, you read about it in the Gospels. Uh, You certainly, you know, read about, you read anecdotal stories uh, in the Gospels of people, of of Pharisees believing. But here in the Jerusalem congregation, uh, you have uh, Pharisees believing. Okay. Uh, And uh, evidently, they heard about what was going on in Antioch, this great event in Antioch of uh, so many people coming to faith. That some of them uh, made a journey on their own, uh, and here, you know, they uh, they begin uh, preaching something uh, that uh, created this controversy in Antioch, and so that's why they bring it to uh, to Jerusalem. Okay. All right. Uh, and so they say it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So. You could say primarily it was about circumcision, but it was about living Jewishly, about their obligation to the Torah, that if they come under the kingship of the Messiah, then they have an obligation to the Torah, just like we have an obligation to the Torah, in the very same way. That was their claim. They weren't against Gentiles coming to believe. They were having a problem with the social interaction of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, And it's very interesting the way this is explained uh, by by Peter. Very important. Okay. So now, in verse 6, we read, And the apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter again this due process let's look into the matter there was controversy and now they're going to hear it out after there had been much debate okay uh again very strong word very strong word this was not after they had a cup of coffee and mulled over it for a little while all right this was after some controversy after some heavy duty discussion here peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days, and now it's funny, he should say the early days, right? Uh, It was probably about 10 years ago or so. Uh, In the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the good news and believe. So if you read it carefully, the first thing you want to get here is that Peter's putting it on God. If you have an argument, your argument is with God. Okay? God, I, uh, here, yes. In the early days, God made a choice that that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear. He does not say, let me tell you what what, what happened. I went, to the, I went uh, to the Gentiles, and they believed. And so he's taking it off of himself, and he's saying, God directed me. This is about the will of God and the work of God. Should, the Gentiles should hear the word of the good news and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them giving them the Ruach HaKodesh, giving them the Holy Spirit, just like he also did to us. God sent me. God put the words in my mouth. God saw their heart. God gave them the Holy Spirit, just like God did to us. Okay? Okay. Uh, And he says, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So Peter is saying first that this is the work of God. Okay, first let's get that straight. But then uh, he says, God bore witness to them and God gave them the Ruach HaKodesh. Clearly, without them being circumcised. Clearly, without them uh, living Jewishly. God gave them the ruach, just the way that they were. But what he knew is that their heart had changed. What he knew, it, who, God who sees the heart, you know, I, I gave them uh, the ruach. Uh, uh, and he cleansed them, cleansed their heart. It kind of uses a little terminology that might echo Ezekiel chapter thirty-six a little bit, where I, uh, you know, we read about, you know, God uh, giving us a new heart, and uh, you know, and we read about cleansing of the heart. And you have to wonder. Also, it doesn't say in the text, but you do have to wonder. Did Peter have anything in his mind about what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 about a circumcised heart, you know? Because Paul will write later on that upon us, the end of the ages have come. You know, what what God promised earlier on in Deuteronomy. And clearly, we read in a lot of Bible verses in the Tanakh that gentiles would come to believe you read about it in a lot of places uh, and we'll talk more about that when we get to james response uh, we'll talk more about that but uh, perhaps this was in peter's mind when he talks about the cleansing of the heart again you read it in ezekiel 36 beginning in verse 20 really verse 24 uh, and uh, you read it in a number of places and the whole idea of Gentiles coming to believe, you read in a lot of places, and we'll talk more about them in a while. Okay. Uh, and then he goes on to say, now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? See, this is what Peter is doing. Why are you putting God to the test? This is not, about, uh, this is not a horizontal argument. This is a vertical argument. Why are you putting God to the Why are you testing what God is doing? Why are you questioning what God is doing? By placing upon the neck of the disciples, and he's talking about the Gentiles here, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. Yeah, and we'll finish, actually, with this part here. I, I, most people look at this as like a negative thing. Like, why is it, you know, we can't, this law is like a millstone around our neck. Uh, why would we want the Gentiles to have to live with it too? That is oftentimes how this is understood. But that is, may I suggest, that is not what Peter is saying at all. That when he talks about a yoke, uh, you know, you read in rabbinic literature uh, about, about a yoke. Uh, a yoke meaning that, you, you know, when you would put a yoke on the oxen, they were stuck together, you know, they were stuck together. And that God has given us the Torah. God has made us responsible for the Torah. So it's like on a, an, in a yoke. In other words, it's something that belongs to us, something that we are particularly responsible for. He's not saying anything negative. And also, think about uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11. At the end of the chapter, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. So the yoke is not a negative thing here. It is... I, you know, I, I it, it, what, what, what Peter is saying is, God has given us this responsibility and not the Gentiles, and you need the next verse to understand. You, you need the next verse to understand this. So let me read, uh, verse uh, eleven. So verses ten and eleven together. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord, Yeshua, in the same way as they are also. And so what he's saying here is, is that we all come to God by grace. And the fact is, God has given us this Torah to live by. And the fact is, is that just like we read all over the place in the Bible, uh, you know, we've come short of the glory of God, uh, that, that we sin, uh, that uh, we are imperfect, and that we need God's chesed. Uh, we need his loving kindness, and we need his forgiveness. And, uh, and we receive his forgiveness as Jews because certainly God has made us responsible for this Torah. Uh, but boy, we need his grace, the grace that God gives us in Yeshua. But he has not given this yoke to the nations this yoke belongs to israel what comes upon all peoples is yeshua's yoke right like that we read about in matthew chapter 11 his yoke the the responsibility that we have to him that we have to the king and we come to him as jews and we come to him as non-jews and god has called israel I too have this badge of identity of, uh, of uh, Torah, I, I, especially the rituals, the rituals of uh, Torah. I, but to the nations, he has not uh, given that. And that is what is new about the new covenant, or part of what is new about the new covenant, that he has poured out the Ruach, and it is the sign of the Ruach ha-kodesh, that we all have as Jews and Gentiles, but God has given Israel a particular responsibility. A particular responsibility. But this is not about this chapter, and this whole section is not about Jewish believers. It's about Gentile believers. And clearly, I uh, Peter is saying, that he has not given this responsibility or this relationship, this this, this Torah relationship to the nations as a responsibility when it comes to circumcision, when it comes to the badges of identity. He's not talking about here a general Torah way of life. Clearly, that is what all Messiah followers uh, live by. But... But this chapter is about is about living Jewishly, is about taking on a Jewish identity, and things of that uh, and things of that nature. That's what these Pharisees, who were believers, were complaining about. Okay, uh, had to do with these uh, with the uh, items of Torah that have to do with Jewish identity, with ethnic Jewish identity. All right. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so then he says, I, uh, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Yeshua in the same way as they are also, uh, right? We may have different responsibilities before God in that sense, just like, you know, uh, there are male responsibilities, there are female responsibilities, there are children's responsibilities, there are adult responsibilities, right? Uh, I, uh, there's lots of different responsibilities depending on where you are in life uh, before a God. And on one, in one sense, there is uh, Jewish responsibilities uh, and uh, responsibilities of those from the, from the nations, right? And this all has to do with, it, with is the Jewish responsibilities. All right. Then it says, uh, And all the multitude kept silent, And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them uh, among the Gentiles. Okay, Again, Luke makes this point so clearly, what God was doing among the Gentiles. And now James is going to speak. And uh, they're all going to. It's like now with bated breath, they're going to hear James now remember that we're reading what what took me a couple of minutes to read is a tiny 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 little sound bite of probably hours of discussion (laughs) okay so that's you know that's important to understand but what is our takeaway what is our takeaway from this isn't it amazing you know we have to appreciate those early days uh, of the Messiah followers, that it was a radical thing that non-Jews were coming to believe. Uh, and it was a radical thing uh, that they could come into the ecclesia, the community, as they were. Now, uh, in closing, one of the things that we learn here is is that if God, one of the arguments, in a way, what Peter is saying is, if God received them, the way they are then we need to receive them the way they are you know uh, as human beings who repent and and turn to the lord and receive the grace of god it doesn't matter and and, re- and so we need to be aware of that and recognize that gentile speaks of all any ethnic group of people and so therefore we need to be careful uh, that if people uh, you know, uh, uh, come into uh, the uh, the congregation from a, a, a different culture that we don't uh, that we uh, don't shun them because they're either not Jewish or uh, you know they come from a, a different ethnic world. But and this is a big but we will see next week and or the week after. Uh, that there are some caveats in the way you handle yourself in a community. Even though you're welcome and God brings you in, there are some caveats in the way uh, that you socially handle yourselves in this. But the main point so far here is, is that these people can be saved. Remember, that was the argument. They cannot be saved without it. They cannot have deliverance from God without it. And the answer is yes, they can. But then James is going to go a step further in his response and deal with the social relationship that was being challenged as well. But for us, we need to really uh, be thankful, you know, uh, for the fact uh, that we are indeed one in Messiah. Uh, one in Messiah doesn't mean that we are now some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of ethnic being that never existed before. No, God loves ethnic identities. He likes all ethnic identities, you you, you know, and, and that's important. Uh, however, it's also important that we want to be a good testimony, uh, that we... Uh, uh, you know, of, of a good testimony of the good news, of the reality of God. And so just that, when, when James answers this, see, if we went another hour, we could get through the whole thing, but you're going to have to wait. Don't touch that dial, right? You don't have to come back uh, next, uh, next week, same time, same station, and all that, because James is going to say to, listen, Jewish believers, we got to accept our brethren the way they are, who they are. But then he's going to say, "Listen, Gentile brethren, we you know you're accepted the way you are, but there's certain things you got to take into consideration, and and that's you know and that's what we're going to see. Uh, that's what we're going to see next time. And uh, uh, let me just say, and I think that here at Beth Messiah, I think that's how we kind of do it. Th- th- this passage." Uh, is really right on spot for uh, how we understand ourselves. But we need to get to the end of the section in order to get the full picture. Uh, So far, what we've seen is that by the testimony, uh, especially of Peter, uh, uh, but also of Paul and of Barnabas, uh, that uh, Gentiles are included. And that means all kinds of Gentiles, okay? And, uh, and in our 21st century world, that's what we need to emphasize. All kinds of people from the nations. Like, it doesn't matter what nation they're from, you know? Uh, that God is welcoming of people of all nations, of all ethnicities, right? Right? Uh, And when we talk about, you know, God sees what color we are and God sees the truth of our ethnicities. And the wonderful truth is, is that we can be one in Messiah with all of that, all of those, uh, all of those horizontal uh, differences. That is what breaks down barriers. And may I suggest that is what the world cries out for, but doesn't seem to know how to get This is indeed the answer. And what it takes, and what between the testimony of Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James, is it takes adapting and flexibility and understanding on the part of everyone. And that is really what we see. But this is... Uh, this chapter really um, uh, shows us quite clearly uh, how these issues uh, were dealt with uh, and were settled, uh, and uh, and we'll talk more about that next week. So, if you are with us today, and uh, you know uh, you're you're hearing this message maybe for the first time, you're watching it and uh, and hearing this message from the first time that Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel for everybody. And in him, there is the forgiveness of sins. In him, there is grace. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your political persuasion, whatever it is, we all need to embrace Yeshua and take his yoke upon ourselves and receive the the grace, the forgiveness of our sins uh, from him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord uh, God, thank you, uh, God, that we are seeing the beginning of the end, the the beginning of the world to come. That's what I mean. That we see people from all nations, uh, multitudes, coming and uh, embracing uh, the Messiah. And uh, just as uh, we read earlier uh, today, Uh, In the uh, uh, New Covenant portion, as Lenny uh, read, uh, it says, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests To our God, which is no coincidence that it kind of sounds like Exodus chapter 19. uh, To our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Isn't that great? Uh, And that is indeed uh, what God is doing even to this day. Thank you, Lord, for that. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.